Welcome to Humming Fools, a fortnightly podcast and amateur auditory guide hosted by nobodies and dedicated to the artists, dreamers, or anyone out there with the creative urge. I am one of your nobodies, Kyle Stuke, and later I will be joined by my co-host, La Creme de la Creme, Noah Bosley, along with our guest, Colin Bunn, a professional comics book writer, a novelist, and short story author. As you'll learn during this interview, Colin has written a ton of stuff, an ungodly amount of stuff, from runs on Deadpool, Spider-Man, Captain America, X-Men, to critically acclaimed creator-owned books like Harrow County, So Tasty, The Sixth Gun, and The Damned. Um, As Noah and I are aspiring comic book writers ourselves and creators, this episode was just amazing. It was a real special treat and just a treasure trove um, of information that really made what Colin does, you know, feel tangible. So if you have any interest in writing or creating, um, I think that this episode is going to be a real treat for you. And and even if that's not your your medium or your, you know, specific craft, uh, it's just a fun episode. Colin is a really fun guy and, again, was very generous, generous with his time. And it was just fun goofing off around with him and and talking, you know, nerdy comic book stuff. But yeah, super excited for you guys to listen to it. And speaking of you guys, I just want to quickly say hello. Welcome. If you're a reoccurring listener, thanks so much for coming back. We appreciate you guys and all the support. And if this is your first episode of Humming Fools, welcome. Uh, Everyone's a part of the Humming Fools family slash, I mean, they're not a part of it if they don't want to be. But if you want to be, you're a part of it. You're welcome. And, uh, this is a place for everyone. So we appreciate you um, choosing to spend some time with us. And we have a lot of other episodes. So if you end up liking this one, uh, enjoying the vibe, then know that there's a bunch of, of other episodes out there. We do interviews uh, like this, and we also do discussion episodes and um, some specials, you know, for holidays or um, just to really dive into maybe one of our creator-owned properties. But what we're really proud of, though, is our independent comic book, Evilcast. Uh, we have five issues of it done, and they're all available to read for free on our website. So that's ominous.media, and we have a lot of other cool stuff on there as well. So if you enjoy this episode, please check out our website. Please check out some of our work. We also have a YouTube channel where we do um, some cool, fun, special episodes along with a review show called The Night Shift. And uh, you can also find us on Instagram and other social media places. But again, all of that will be in uh, the show notes. So if you enjoy this episode, you don't hate my face, you don't hate Noah's face, uh, you like the sound of our voice, you're you're picking up what we're putting down, um, please feel free to to check out the show notes and and look at some of the other stuff that we make. And or again, look at some of the uh, older episodes that we've done. Because uh, we've done a lot, and, and there's a lot of good stuff, I think, um, in, a, in a humble way. But I know you guys are not here for me. You are here for Colin. So without any further ado, here is the interview. Noah, are you okay? Are you nervous? Do you need water? Are you all right? 
A little bit, a little bit scared. Okay. A little bit warm, but that's all right. Well, just remember that I love you and it's going to be okay. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for joining us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for being here. I was just talking to you um, about this uh, off air, but um, I saw you were on Twitter and you were you were taking questions, and I was like, "Oh man, I have one question that I really would like to ask Colin, which would be, will he be on the show?" So I threw that <laughs> hail mary, and you were very gracious, and you said yes, and so uh, I'm just super pumped to to have you here. Um, I must have I must have thought you were somebody else. <laughs> I I do that a lot. I change my profile picture to the friends of people that I, you know, asked to be on the show. And it's worked very, out pretty well. Very clever. Uh, yeah. But um, you know, just for you and, and for the for our viewers slash listeners, just gonna jump in really quick to to the the format of the show. We're gonna um get into your background a little bit about who you are what you make, why you make it, how long you've been making it, and then we will transition into more specific questions about your life. After that, we'll get to the rapid fire where we ask you quick and stupid questions to impress us, strangers. <laughs> so that's a really high stakes. Um, and then uh, after that, we will part ways knowing that we're best friends from now on. Um, does that work for you? Sound good? Almost 95% of that works. So. Okay. <laughs> I hope it's the first part that's yeah. the 5% that doesn't work for you. Um, but yeah, to start off, will you, can you just tell us uh, who you are, what you do, and how long you've been doing it? Yeah, so uh, my name is Cullen Bunn. I am a professional comic book writer. Uh, I have been doing, I've been writing comics for a long time, 15, I mean, for I've been writing comics since I was a kid. Uh, I've been doing it professionally for uh, 15 or 16 years, and I've been doing it as my only means of uh, employment for 10 years now. Um, and uh, I've written, uh, I, I write both uh, books for the publishers, you know, like Marvel and DC. So I've written Deadpool, and I've written the X-Men, and Magneto, and Sinestro, and the Green Lantern Corps, and uh, and Lobo. I've written all those kinds of characters uh, but then I also write a lot of my own uh, creator-owned material, uh, and I've written books like The Six Gun and Harrow County, uh, Bone Parish, and the list the list goes on and on. So uh, I, I, I've, uh, I've long played in both fields in that regard. Very nice, yeah. Um, honestly, it's a little bit annoying how much stuff you've made. Like, you know, <laughs> when... That's why when... I do it. That's, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> when trying to, you know, do my research and kind of look at all the different work, I would, you know, be scrolling and just go, oh, it just it keeps going. God, like how many, how many good stories can this guy tell? Like at some point, like it's got to stop. <laughs> a right? handful, a handful, and I pad them with all the others. <laughs> <laughs> um, besides uh, the the comic stuff, and forgive me if you mentioned this, but you've you've done some other, you know, some prose work and potentially screenplays and stuff. Have you kind of oh, yeah. dabbled in a lot of other writing? Yeah, I've done, uh, you know, I've done a lot of prose stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I've written tons of short stories that have been published at various various places. I've done some nonfiction. Uh, I've been doing a lot of screenplay work. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm working in a lot of different uh, different mediums, I guess. Although uh, our comic books is is where you know that's my that's where that's my bread and butter right now. Anyway, yeah. And so speaking of that, like you know, this is 
probably one of the questions you get a lot, but why comics? Like what drew you to this particular medium and why is it the the bread and butter? Because, you know, you're a writer, you're versatile, you do different stuff, but what is it about comics that you love doing? Well, um, most importantly, I've loved comics since I was a a very, uh, very young kid. I mean, it's, that's, that's what got me into reading in the first place. I have always been surrounded by comics as long as I can remember. And, and I've just always loved them. Um, so when, uh, I decided that I really wanted to make a go of it as a writer, um, comics were, were something I wanted to try. I didn't know how to break into comics at first. So I, I absolutely tried other, uh, other areas that I understood and, and I had a better grasp of, you know, f- short stories. I knew exactly how to submit those to magazines and anthologies mm. and things like that. I did not know how to submit comics. So I, I, uh, I was writing uh, proposals and sending proposals out to publishers, but it was not getting me anywhere in the comics. Uh, so I focused for a while on prose uh, and then finally figured out my, uh, my angle to get into comics and, uh, and then that's where I've been ever since. I've always, like I said, I've always loved them. I love the medium. I like the collaborative nature of of comics. Uh, I like the, uh, there's a sort of a, an urgency in comics in that I write uh, a script and it's not too, too, it's not too long that I'm actually seeing pages coming back in. So there's mm. sort of a sense of instant gratification for me um, mm. where working in other, uh, other mediums, you might not see anything for years. It might not even come out. So uh, at least I'm seeing something. I'm seeing activity. And that, uh, that, that probably more than anything is what appeals to me most with, with comics is I'm, I'm, seeing, uh, I'm seeing almost a, not an instant return, but a very quick return in terms of, uh, of, of seeing something happen with these stories. Because I don't... I don't uh, I don't just write to get a paycheck. I want people to read these stories. I want to see them out there, and I want I want those stories to be told. And and comics, it's it's a, it's almost like a sort of assurance. Oh, it's coming! It's happening! These are you know the the pages are coming in. They're getting drawn. Mm-hmm. They're getting colored. They're getting lettered, and then they're going to be out there in the world. So it's uh, that uh, that that kind of uh, comforts me in some way. Yeah. No, getting getting um like comic art in in your email inbox is like one of the best feelings in the world where you're like, oh, a new page or like a new character design. It's just like yeah. it's kinda like like drugs to be honest. Like um it's very <laughs> addicting and I love it. So yeah, that it's makes a, sense. It is a it's a very it's a very uh it, it like I said, it, it's it's rewarding to see that stuff come. Uh and and typically, relatively quickly it starts turning back in. So yeah. So to go back to what you were saying, you were talking about trying to break in and, and not having success, but then finding that, that not loophole, but finding that in. Tell us what that was. I know what it was <laughs> because I did a freaking stock session on you. So I'll know almost everything, including your social uh, security number. But for the people who don't know, uh, let, wh- wh- how, did you, how did you end up breaking in? So I have a degree in creative writing. Um, and uh, with that degree, I got a job at the comic book shop. That's, you know, as you do. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, so pretty much right out of college, I was working at a comic book shop. And one of my coworkers was a very talented artist named Brian Hurt. 
and uh, we were we became fast friends, and uh, we were always talking about the day we would do a comic together because he was you know he was always drawing, I was always telling stories. We would get together and pitch ideas and and try to come up with con you know cool concepts for comics, um, and it still took another you know ten years at least before uh, we actually managed to put a pitch together and start sending it out. Um, Brian had started doing a little bit of work for Oni Press. Um, he had done some issues of Queen and Country, I think, at that point. And uh, so that was sort of the, the, the foot in the door at Oni Press. So we came up with a couple of pitches, and we sent them to Oni, and they knew Brian. They knew he could draw. Um they didn't know me, so they they asked me to write a few pages of you know sample scripts and things like that. For you know the first thing we pitched to them, they rejected pretty much immediately. Um, the second thing mm-hmm. we pitched was a book called The Damned, and uh, and they picked that up uh, again almost immediately. They accepted it, and uh, and and we were off off to the races. It still took another year or year and a half before that book finally came out, but. Uh, uh, that was the, so meeting Brian at the comic shop. That was my in to the world of comics. It was the uh, to, for for a lot of a lot of aspiring writers, the most difficult task is not getting a publisher to read the book, not getting an editor to read the book. It's to get an artist to draw it. And uh, mm-hmm. and so uh, I was lucky enough that I met Brian and became friends with Brian uh, all those years earlier. So that we could do uh, do this book together, which was my, uh, you know, that was my my first paid comic work, and uh, and it kind of opened the door to the next projects that I'd be doing. Yeah, well, I love that you know we have bromance to thank for all the great and horrific right. Colin Bun content that we've gotten. Like it started <laughs> with love, and then it led to horror. Um, uh, Brian would probably say it started with horror as well. He's it's a it's a love hate a love hate relationship for sure. You got to have a little bit of that, you know. It's like whiplash. You got to throw in a little bit of trauma to to make That's the true. creative work come out. Um, <laughs> so you know, walk us through then this timeline of you get paid for your first uh, you know comic. You get your first paid comic work, and then. How long in between there before you get to transition to uh, full-time writing? Because you mentioned, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, full-time. What was that process like? Uh, and more, how was your soul during that point? Because I imagine it's like you have this dream and you're like, I really want to get here, but it takes time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, uh, I thought things would be re- pretty easy, you know, easy street when that book came out. So the dam came out in 2006, um, and I was like, well, that that's it. You know, my first book is out. Uh, that's all. Now I just have to sit back and wait for uh, wait for all the, you know, the job offers to come in. And it was another three years before I got any other offers of work. Um, mm. uh, I did, the next thing I did was uh, a book for uh, Marvel. I did a single issue of, uh, of Immortal Weapons um, for Marvel Comics. And it is to this day the single most unpleasant writing experience I've ever had, oh, no. and I've had so many bad writing experiences, and that one was awful. I mean, it, to the point that I got done with it, 
And uh, I said, well, that's it. I'll never work for Marvel again because it was ungodly. Um, mm-hmm. They come to find out everyone who worked with that particular editor had the same feeling. So, <laughs> mm. so uh, but it was still another year or so uh, before anything else came out. And then I did a book called The Sixth Gun. And uh, The Sixth Gun got the attention of some editors at uh, Marvel and DC, and they started calling me and offering me work. And, uh, and it wasn't too much longer after. I did some short stories. I did some limited series. And then it wasn't too much longer after that that I felt comfortable um, going full-time as a writer. Uh, Marvel offered me an exclusive contract so that I'd stop writing for DC. Mm. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I took that contract, and that gave me enough, you know, enough comfort to, to become a full-time writer, um, which is, uh, which, like I said, was ex- almost exactly 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago, uh, a, a week or two ago. Wow. Is that an ongoing contract? No, no, it, uh, it okay. was a, uh, it was a two-year contract for the exclusive, oh. uh, and they, when it expired, they did not renew it. And, that didn't bother me because I worked so much more for Marvel and got so many better d- jobs at Marvel after my exclusive contract expired than I <laughs> ever had while I was exclusive to them. I feel like they didn't know what they wanted to do with me for a while, except they just didn't want me writing for DC. And uh, huh. and then uh, and then after the exclusive expired, I started getting different projects and uh, you know, and just they just really started uh, coming in fast and furious at that point. Um, but yeah. Did you get any, any affirmation from the idea that we might not know what we want to give you to work on, but we don't want you working for anyone else? Like, okay, so I I must be pretty good. Well, I mean, that's, that's an all right feeling, I guess, but it wasn't paying the, it wasn't paying the bills. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, (laughs) I I needed more work than, uh, than I was getting at that point Mm. to really, to really make, make it work as a writer. Um, and I was—I just wasn't getting projects that uh, that were really exciting me. I got a couple that I really liked early on, and then they just the the there was a lot of fill-in stuff and a lot of co-writing for other creators and things like that, which is fine. Uh, but it wasn't really what I wanted to. You know, I, I wanted something I could sink my teeth into. And, uh, and I don't feel like I got that until after that exclusive was either coming to an end or was pretty close to a, a coming to an end. Yeah, that's weird. It's like thinking about like if you were like in a relationship it's, and it's like, all right, we're exclusive now. And you're like, okay. And they're like, you're like, do you want to, you know, go to the movies? And, and they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to go stay at home. And you're like, okay, do you want to go to the amusement park? No. And then you just see this other girl across, like in a, like another house in a window, going, "I'll make out with you," and you're like, "I can't," <laughs> but my my girlfriend won't let, do anything with me. Um, and then once you break up, she's like, "Do you want to? Do you want to make out?" And you're like, <laughs> yeah, "Is that what you're saying? I, Am I hearing pretty, the correct?" That's that's almost exactly the conversations I had um, with uh, with Marvel at that point. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's just a, it was just a, a weird. Uh, you know, it was it was just weird timing. I think uh, when the exclusive got offered and, and everything. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't think they knew exactly what to do with me until you know a, a little bit later, and that was fine. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I got more work, so much more work when I wasn't exclusive than when I was exclusive. The only mm-hmm. thing I didn't have mm-hmm. was that guarantee of a certain amount of work. They could have just said, yeah, no. they could have just said, you know, that's it and you're done. Uh, while you're on an exclusive, there are promises of a certain amount of projects every month. Okay. That's uh, that's the freelance world. Right. It's like, well, do I do I get a full time job that pays less than what I make when I'm working for myself? But then I like the stability of that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, and and you know, uh, I'm thankful for that exclusive because, it, like I said, it gave me that confidence that uh, uh. that uh, I needed to uh, become a full time writer. Now, if a publisher came to me and said, hey, we want you to be exclusive, they would have to pay me an astronomical amount of money (laughs) for me to ever be exclusive to another publisher ever again. Mm. Um, It would just, I mean, it would, it would, it would be just a shocking amount of, of money. And I have been, I've been offered exclusives at other publishers since then and uh, uh, didn't accept them and, and, and I just, uh, I've come to kind of loathe the concept of exclusive contracts. Mm. When you were saying astronomical, I thought you were going to say an ass load of money. And I'm really well, disappointed that you didn't. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it clean here. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, everyone, <laughs> for my potty mouth. Um, <laughs> Kyle. I know. I'm so, I'll be better. Um, so does that, just to, one more little thing on that, yeah. does that kind of exclusivity affect, you know, relationships with DC afterwards? Like, is that a thing that's weird for them when they're like, oh, you were exclusive for two years, or does it not matter to them? Because they're like, oh, well, we No, because uh, most of the time they understand it. It didn't, uh, it did not impact. Uh, in fact, after that exclusive expired at Marvel, DC started giving me a ton of work too. I was doing... Uh, a couple of ongoing series for them. I was uh, doing script doctoring for them on other comics that other people were writing. Um, uh, so I was almost an editor on a couple of books. They were offering me a ton of work. Um, uh, so I was working, you know, after that, since I was working a lot for DC and a lot for Marvel at the same time. Um, I've not, it's not been my experience at least that the exclusive cause, you know, these going exclusive with Marvel caused any difficulty with DC. Um, and in fact, when I went exclusive with Marvel, the editors at DC, uh, the editor I had been working with at DC really tried to get them to offer me an exclusive and they wouldn't. And he was like, well, you know, I can't blame you for going where you're, you know, guaranteed money. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, it really like, you know, I guess it's easy for me and, you know, outside people to kind of think of, Marvel and DC as these big, just kind of singular entities where it really, it sounds like, you know, there's tons of editors. And if you get a bad editor, you're going to have a bad experience with that company, but then you could totally, there could be someone else who's going to, you know, completely turn things around for you. Who's in the same company just a year later. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, You can work with great editors. You can work with terrible editors. Uh, Terrible editors don't stick around at the, won't, won't always be at a company. So it's not like, uh, you know, some horrible person works there. Uh, they're going to eventually get, you know, they're going to move on to other places. Great editors might leave one of those companies and they end up working at another publisher. And that's another doorway into those other publishers. If you establish, a, you know, you have someone that you work with that you really enjoy working with, when they go to another publisher, uh, 
chances are if it was a you know if you you know if you had a great working relationship you'll be working with them there at that publisher so mm-hmm. or you'll have the opportunity to at least yeah um and and sometimes you meet people that's the other thing that I think a lot of people who try to break in don't realize you know they they uh I used to go to conventions, and you could always spot the people who were name tag tag watchers. That as soon as they come up and meet you at a convention, the first thing they do is they look at your name tag and see if you are anyone that they think can give them a job. Uh. <laughs> and uh, and what they don't realize is people you meet, other other writers, other artists, other you know other fans may very well be people who are you know your gateway to a publisher somewhere down the line. Brian Hurt was my coworker at a comic book shop. Eventually he was, I, I hate giving Brian any credit, but <laughs> let's be honest, without Brian, who knows if I'd be working in comics right now. Um, mm. You know, my editor on Shadow Man at Valiant, I met her when she was a fan of comics. Wow. She was not an editor. She was not working in comics at the time. Um, and mm. now, you know, years later, she's the one who calls me and says, hey, would you like to take a chance and write Shadow Man? So you just don't know who, you know, I think, uh, I think when you start putting value on people, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. this person's important to know, but is more important to know than this person, you're really just making a, you're, you're making huge, you know, you're gambling with a lot of things and you're really making a, mm. you know, you're kind of becoming a, you said we can say ass, right? So you're kind of being an oh, asshole. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> What uh from from the point of view of a writer, what separates a good editor from a bad one? <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, some of the be- the the some of the the editors I've worked with that I just couldn't get behind, just can't seem to uh, get their their act together. You know, a big part of mm. a big part of an editor's job is making sure all the ships get where they're going and they get there on time and they don't collide into each other. And uh, if you can't manage yourself, there's no way you can manage that. So, you know, mm. if you work with an editor who uh, is giving you, you know, you're meeting your deadlines, but then they sit on your book for. 16 days before they proof, you know, give you to read. And then they come back to you and say, I need these changes immediately. Well, that emergence, you know, their failure to, to manage the project shouldn't create an emergency for me. And sometimes, More pressure it, on and, you. And, yeah. and sometimes it does. Um, the, you know, and there are editors who really want to get, uh, they really want to write the story. And those, those stories are usually not very good. Um, I don't think most stories written by committee are are really that great. Um, but the best editors are the ones who know what you can do. They hired you because of what you they know what you can do, and then they let you do it. And that's those are the you know those are the editors who are are just golden. You know they they the trust yeah they they know what there there has to be trust in it anyway in in this in in a collaborative project but it's the editors who who really uh they they have that trust and they they like i said they know what you can do and they go you know they say go forth and do it and that's not to say that it's always roses and sunbeams some of the very best editors i've worked with i fought with like i mean we fought constantly we (laughs) yelled and argued it with each other 
uh, until we were both blue in the face. Uh, but they were great editors because they had an eye for, you know, whatever, and it helped. Even the argument, the argument in itself can sometimes help. I don't like those. I don't like where I have to feel like I'm fighting every issue. But I do, you know, I, it, with the right editor, if they're fighting for the right reasons, it might, uh, it, it might improve the book. Yeah. Wow. It is like, yeah, just like, you know, micromanaging never is good. And it is funny, like when you, you get older, you think, okay, as I get older, everyone who is my age or older will do things well and competently. But then you <laughs> run into people who are, you're like, like exactly like you're saying, who are like, oh, I'm not going to do my job for a long time. But then once I do it, I'm going to give it to you and I want you to do it right away. Yeah, um, I mean, and and look, everybody like, has off days. Everybody sure. has bad days. Everybody drops the ball sometimes. It happens, um, you know. Uh, but like, you know, like I said, the you know, most of the editors I've worked with have been pretty good. I've had a few that weren't great necessarily, and I don't work with them anymore. Yeah. Well, this this podcast actually isn't a podcast about creativity. It's kind of like um, a Christmas carol where we actually bring back the ghosts of your past. So we're going to actually bring on some of those editors right now. They, um, those, got- editors, <laughs> those editors uh, know exactly how I feel, and I would be happy. I would be happy to talk with them. I, look, I you know there there's a couple that I would you know I would say to their face, I would never work with you again. That doesn't mean I dislike you as a person. I just don't want to work with you. And yeah. uh, and honestly, they'd probably say the same. They might not say they like me, but they would definitely say we don't want to work with you. <laughs> we, you know, you sometimes you just don't mesh with uh, with people, and and that's okay too. I don't Absolutely. live in a world where I have to like everyone. I mean, I go on <laughs> podcasts with people that I really don't like, and. <laughs> Yeah, we we you know we we host shows with people that we absolutely hate, um, but it's good to get other perspectives. That's right. So, it's, it's we're almost right. we're almost done, right? Yeah. <laughs> can you can you wrap this up, Colin? Please. Yeah. Let's. Uh... <laughs> um. To to go backwards. Uh. To to baby Colin. You know, you're born. You come out. It's great. You're looking at the world. You're learning to walk. You're learning to talk. Um. At what point do you start getting, you know, you mentioned like loving comics from an early age, but when do you start, you know, getting to the age where you're creating stuff and and then from there, like thinking of yourself as a creator, like I want to do this and I'm going to invest my time and energy into doing this? Um, well, I, uh, before kindergarten, I put a book together and I remember vividly drawing this book called War of the Monsters that mm. featured Godzilla <laughs> and King Kong and Mothra and they were attacking the world and every page uh, you know it started with Godzilla the next page was Kong the next was Mothra the next was some other monster and then it would go back to Godzilla Kong Mothra and uh, and I remember that uh, it started with Godzilla breaking out of an iceberg so I must have just watched uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. Mm. And it ends, they drop a sword out of a helicopter onto Godzilla's head, and that's how they kill him. Um, Damn. So uh, I was doing that. That was before kindergarten. I did that book. Um, 
So I was. I have high expectations for this new movie now. <laughs> I, yeah. If they don't drop a sword on his head, I was going to say. <laughs> if if they, there's no sword involved, I'm going to be pissed. If they don't drop a I've sword, I've already heard head. a better end. Even if they just <laughs> drop it out of the helicopter and it bounces off, it was a big sword. Yeah, it wasn't a human-sized yeah. sword, guys. It was a giant <laughs> sword. Either way, I'd be satisfied. Um, <laughs> Both are good. <laughs> and then uh, when I was in. <laughs> When I was in fourth and fifth grade, I did a weekly comic book. My dad had an office and he had a photocopier. So I would go and draw and photocopy a comic that I would give out to all my friends. And it starred all my friends as the X-Laser Knights. That was the, the name of the comic, the X-Laser Knights. And we went on intergalactic adventures with, uh, and, and, uh, and I know I did at least... 13 or 14 issues of that, and they're all gone, sadly. None of my friends kept them, apparently. They just uh, um, they threw them away. Uh, and then uh, a little, a few years later, in, I guess, 7th or 8th grade, uh, I started making my own comics and going to comic book conventions and selling them. Oh, wow. And uh, mm-hmm. I was, so I'd set up at Comic Cons, little, you know, hotel room Comic Cons, and uh, and sell copies of my photocopied uh, comic books. So I was always <laughs> interested in making comics. Uh, I was writing and drawing them, um, and uh, and it was it was something that's I've always wanted to do. And then I just fell out of you know the drawing aspect of it. I still wanted to tell stories though, um, and I still have uh, and I have some unpublished comics that I was doing back when I was in. Uh, I had to be fourth, fifth grade. So I have a few mm. of those things still still hanging around somewhere. Um so I always I've always wanted to to tell stories in in some fashion. That's awesome. And were you like were did you did the identity was it affirmed by the people around you? Like did you feel like, oh, this is a tangible thing that I could do? Or was it like, hey, it's cool that you're creative, but like Pat Pat, you need to go do a real job. Oh yeah, uh, it was definitely you need to go do a real job. My dad uh my dad was very supportive of me throughout my life, but I I remember <laughs> when I decided what I was going to go to college for and he was very disappointed that I was going to try to get a degree in creative writing. He was mm. he was he's like what are you going to do with that? And to be honest, uh, all right, maybe that's not the. I mean, he might have been right. I'm not. It's not like I needed that degree to get. No sure. comic publisher asked for my, you know, my diploma to see if I was qualified mm. to write a comic. They don't care. <laughs> um, but it's uh, so that was the only time he that I felt like he wasn't supportive of this uh, this artistic dream, you know. Uh, but uh, but then, you know, not long after, you know, well, it was, it, was, it was 10, 15. You know, I got a decent job after college and after the comic shop. Uh, and then and then after that, you know, I, so I was working in a decent job. And he seemed supportive when I said, hey, I'm quitting my job and becoming a, a comic book writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad it worked out for me. Because I got to read your tasty stuff, but I'm also glad that it worked out for you in terms of being able to live and eat food and all that stuff. But well, it's important. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, uh, <laughs> keeping a roof over your head is uh, can be can be you know it, it. Some people have that as a goal. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, so I heard you talk somewhere about how one of your past jobs was being a career counselor. Yes, and how you had to talk to people who had recently been fired. Yes, and like try to guide them. Can you, like that sounds like one of. Dante's circles of hell to me. That sounds awful. <laughs> How? Tell me about that. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't that bad, actually. Okay. It, you know, it was. Uh, I was. You know, you. <laughs> yes, part of my job. We did two things. We helped people who were relocating. So let's say, you know, my wife works for a giant corporation, and they say, "All right, we're moving you from this city to another city." That's great for her, but then I don't have a job, so I have to find a job. So one of my one of my jobs was helping those people find jobs in their new location. And then the other side of it was when they did an outplacement event, a company did an outplacement event. I was high. I was brought in to coach them on what to do uh, to get a job. It was the same process, but it was just two different people. One, they're leaving because they're moving for you know whatever reasons. Two, they're getting outplaced. And it was never a difficult, com- uh, it was not, usually it was not difficult. The worst were, you know, there were several times where we would fly out to the company's headquarters or offices or whatever, and they would let the people go and they would walk them down the hall to a room where I was sitting at a little desk. <laughs> and then they say, and here's Cullen. <laughs> and then I would <laughs> say, hey, how are you? And they'd come <laughs> in and I had tissues for them to cry and we would talk about what's next for them in their life. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it it it's always a matter of uh, getting people excited about possibility. You know, yes, one door has closed, another will open, and you can be happy and and you know and thrive somewhere else. And it's just helping people. Uh, you know, most of you know it was interesting because especially with the outplacement, people often had they were using it as their opportunity to pursue a dream rather than you know, just jump back into the old, you know, same job they've always had. And those were always mm-hmm. interesting, you know, and, and to some degree, a little inspiring. So something I do a lot on the show, I don't know if it annoys Noah. Maybe he likes it. Maybe we should talk about it sometime and I shouldn't just, you know, process on air. But uh, I like to ask our creators about their, their, their romance. You've been married. So I want to know because I'm a romantic. I want to know how you met your wife. I, I'm interested in why you're worried what Noah thinks of this line of questioning <laughs> and not what I think of this line of questioning. Well, um, because again, I've, we've established we don't like you. I like Noah. Um, so He's trying to embarrass you. <laughs> Boy, wow. Uh, I invited my wife to, I used to throw myself birthday parties because no one else would. And I would, I would throw these extravagant birthday parties. And I invited my wife to one of those birthday parties. And that was our, technically our first date and uh and uh and that's that's what we used to do i used to i think it was a birthday party i used to throw a lot of parties for myself i mean all the time (laughs) all the time i was throwing parties and uh did you just tell her you want to come to my birthday party and then she showed up and she's like where is everyone you were like oh no 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 no. my parties were always very well attended because i (laughs) spent all my money on booze and uh (laughs) Uh, That's the ticket. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it was a birthday party. Um, but I used to throw, you know, Christmas parties, birthday parties. 
I used to throw literary events where everyone would come and bring a poem or a story that they'd written, and we'd all read a, you know, we'd all read a poem or a story. Um, and I did them. I mean, it was a probably every month to six weeks, I, there was a party of some sort going on, um, just because I uh, I felt that need to be loved and be surrounded by people. You like to party. Hey, yeah, I get, that's, I get it. You know, that's what that's what it's all about. So when you invited <laughs> her, were you like, oh my gosh, I love this girl. I got to have her come to the birthday party that I'm throwing myself. Or were you just like, oh, she's cool. She can come. And then as she made her way across the dance floor, you had your birthday cake. That I like you that you think I had a birthday uh, or dance floor in my uh, apartment. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'm very creative. I like to you know, yeah, paint a good uh, picture. <laughs> No, uh, you know it's it was it's it was more casual than that. It was you know let's invite her to a party and see if she's cool and she gets along with my friends, and if my friends like her or not. That was at that point that was important to me. Um, so uh, you know because you don't get along with my friends, what are you going to do on D and D night when my friends want to come <laughs> over and play D and D? So uh, so no, it was a uh, it was very casual. It was not. Uh, it, it was uh, testing the waters to see see if she fit in or not. Okay, okay. And how hmm. long have y'all been married now? <laughs> um, we've been married going on 16 years. Okay, She's going nice. to tell me it's either 17 or 15, but I think it's 16. I always get it off by one year. <laughs> well, once again, I was lying about the Creativity Podcast. I was lying about the Christmas Carol. This is actually your wife hired me to just make sure that you remember <laughs> details about your marriage. So uh, She knows I don't remember how long we're married. She, <laughs> she knows that. She knows that I'm going to get it within one year, give or take. That's pretty good. That's fair. Yeah. Um, let's move away from romance, Noah, please. Um, and let's get back I'm to sorry, your, guys. Yeah, it's all right. It's, the, I mean, again, the French, like you're very romantic people. It's fine. Um, but let's get back to you, Colin. So I'm interested, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, being a writer and then being able to have your friend who is an artist. And that was a big help. Cause it's like, Hey, like this guy can do this project with me since you're limited. You can't draw yourself. So talk, uh, talk us through, you know, now that you're established, what does it look like when you work with an artist? What do you look for? Um, do you, you know, do you mainly work with people you know consistently, or do you have like a vetting process of like, okay, this is the type of people I work well. Here's how I like to work. Let's see if we mesh. Or do you basically work well with everyone for the most part? Well, I like to think I, I work well with everyone. Um, I uh, the most important part for me is to find someone who can be excited about the project and who can be genuinely invested in, in the success of whatever the project is. Uh, and I, because I, I do feel like if you can be excited and, and you, you want, you know, you're in it 100% rather than just phoning it in or doing it because it's the, you know, it's the paycheck of the week. Uh, if you can, if you can really be invested, the the project just result the end result is just a thousand times better, and you can see it on the page every time. Um, I can read, you know, a stack of books, and I can tell you which ones these people were all. Everybody on the team wanted this book to succeed and was really mm-hmm. in it. You can tell, um, and uh, so yeah, a lot of times I'm working with with creators that I know, people that. Uh, that I, I've met and, and talked to and known for years. Um, but even the ones I know, it's it's all uh, 
it's all that chance on that first meeting, you know, sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes, it, you know, sometimes your creative collaboration just doesn't work out the way you necessarily want it to. And you don't work together again. But I think most of my creator own stuff, and that's where I have any, any real say in the matter is creator own. Um, you know, most others, if you're doing stuff for, you know, Marvel or DC, the editor has a team they they want to pull together for it. And a lot of times it's great, and, and that's awesome. I've, I've worked with some very, very talented uh, creators in that situation. But uh, I don't have a... I don't necessarily have much of a say. They might say, what do you think of this artist? And if I really just can't stand it, I might be, no, they're they're the worst for this project. <laughs> but I don't, mm. I don't necessarily have that. That vote doesn't necessarily... Uh, count um but with most of the stuff i've done creator owned uh i've worked with those artists again you know and again and uh or have plans to work with them again so um i guess i'm okay to work with and uh and (laughs) and i you know i definitely i wouldn't again i i don't want to work with people that uh that I don't enjoy working with. And, uh, and, and there are artists, some of the artists that I, I work with on creator own stuff now are people that I met through work for hire projects. And, you know, they, they did, you know, work for hire stuff with me. And then we've gone on to do creator own stuff together. They might message me and say, Hey, I'd really love to do a creator own book. Do you want to give one a shot? And we go for it and, and put a new, mm-hmm. you know, we put a book together. Uh, Tyler Crook, for instance, who did Harrow County, mm. I first worked with him on a fill-in issue of Six Gun. So that was when I met Tyler Crook. Was he did a fill-in issue of the Six Gun because Brian was taking a uh, uh, extra month off. We we planned certain fill-ins along the way, and uh, and we enjoyed working with each other. And we went on to do you know Harrow County together, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, uh, if 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 I mesh with the artist and we we produce great books, I'm going to want to work with that person again and again if I can. Yeah. Do you tend to favor or prefer the creator own stuff then, since you have more control? Um, I enjoy working on the the stuff in you know shared universes. I mean, I it's you know some of that stuff's what I you know, I grew up on. So I'm always, right. you know, I, I love those characters and I love the idea of working in a shared universe and contributing uh, to something bigger, to, you know, a bigger universe that lots of different people are doing and, and you know, having, you know, my stories impact, you know, stories going down the line. I enjoy, I love that stuff. Um, but, you know, it it's a t- it's tough to compete with being able to tell your own story and do your own thing uh, yeah. from the ground up. I mean, that's a you know that's a that's a very difficult uh, beast. You know, for 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 work for hire comics to 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 defeat for me. For other creators, that's what they want to do. They love those characters so much. Sure. That's all they want to do, and that's. Perfect. Go forward. Uh, I I like both, but if I you know if you had to make me choose, I'm going to choose creator own. Do you ever approach those publishers and are like, hey, I really like this this property. I want to write, 
you know, a story about it. I have these ideas. Oh, yeah. Can I do it? Yeah, I've done that, you know, many, many times over over the mm. years. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you don't get, they don't respond to your emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. And I still do it. I mean, just as recently as a few weeks ago, I saw that a publisher was doing uh, a new property. And I was like, oh, I could actually do something with that. So mm-hmm. I, I reached out just to see what would happen. Um, I don't I don't pursue that stuff the way I used to. Um, that used to be, you know, a big part of my day was spent, you know, kind of on the hunt for those kinds of projects. Uh, and I don't I don't uh, I don't do that as anymore. It's not my uh, it's not my focus. My my focus oh. is absolutely the creator own side of things. And then a few sort of curated work for hire projects that I really think I can do something with or I can contribute with and that are on brand for who I am as a creator. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Something I'm curious about that I've always wondered is like when you're working on a big property, you know, again, DC or Marvel, what's it like when you're kind of stepping into a world that has so much history and rules? Because in the example I'm kind of thinking of is like maybe – you know, uh, speaking that you said Beast earlier, speaking of Beast, maybe you're like, all right, Beast walks into the the X-Men, you know, mansion kitchen and he he eats a Twinkie. And then like, do you then have a Marvel editor being like, you idiot, Beast doesn't like Twinkies. We established that in issue 48 back in the 80s. Uh, very, like- <laughs> very rarely does that happen. Uh, and I do enough research. I feel like I do a lot of research. So if I take on somebody's character, uh, some character, uh, I want to do enough research that I can honor what's come before because otherwise, what's the point of writing a writing in a shared universe? Just go create your mm-hmm. own stuff. If you're not going to... The whole point of the shared universe is being part of a shared universe. So I yeah. want to, to pay attention to the things that have come before. I want to pay attention to the things that are going on in other corners of that shared universe because I think that's part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, look, I miss some things, and and the editor, the editor's job is, uh, you know, to catch, you know, part of their job is to catch. Beast doesn't like Twinkies, you know, <laughs> uh, and and sometimes they catch it, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes those catches result in, uh, in, n- <laughs> in terrible comics. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I remember the only time I've ever really had one where like, you idiot, don't you know, uh, was my, f- it wasn't an idiot, they didn't call me an idiot. The editor that on this book is, <laughs> is actually a very good friend of mine now. Um, but uh, I was doing a Batman, uh, the, one of the, the first thing I ever did for DC was a four issue run on Superman Batman. And it was uh, it was an alternate universe where you know magic was out. There was a sort of a post apocalyptic alternate universe. And in my script, I had written that Batman had stubble that he he uh, mm-hmm. you know he he had not shaven for a few days. And the note I got, but the editor called me and he says, "You've got to change this. Batman is always clean shaven." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was, you know, I was like, oh, I didn't, I'm sorry. I did not realize that Batman, no matter what, at that time was always clean shaven. Now you'll notice that nowadays that dude yeah. never shaves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like I broke the lid on that one and, you know, <laughs> everybody else could do it. Um, you know, so there's little things. There was, you know, there's, you know, odd things happen like, uh, 
you know, a comic will get completely drawn. I remember an issue of Venom uh, or an arc of Venom that I had the character Master Pandemonium. And I, this, all right, Master Pandemonium, who cares about Master Pandemonium? No one <laughs> is going to be using Master Pandemonium. He's a guy with demons that come out of his, you know, his, he, he shoots demons out of his arms. Um, <laughs> and the issue was drawn, the issues were drawn and everything. And we got a note back from another office that said, guys, Master Pandemonium plays a huge role in this other comic. You can't have Master Pandemonium in your book. Oh. And it was too late. I mean, it was he's in oh. the book, but they were diehard. You can't have Master Pandemonium. So I changed it to Apprentice Pandemonium and had a <laughs> there's like a line in there where he says, My cousin, Master Pandemonium, <laughs> you know, is out doing something and someday I will take over the role of master for my cousin or something like that. So, that sounds ridiculous, but it was pretty close to that ridiculous. And, uh, oh and yeah, uh, that, you know, that kind of stuff happens quite a bit. And it's not even, it's not your editor's fault. It's not the other editor's fault, really. They're, they're just some, you know, again, nobody in Marvel was thinking that Master Pandemonium would be used in even one comic, less, let alone two comics. <laughs> two at the same this time. This guy's blowing yeah. up. Yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, that's why I that's how I created Apprentice Pandemonium. And when he appears in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's it. I'll be rolling in that <laughs> the royalties. Apprentice, oh, there you go. Apprentice Pandemonium money. <laughs> I I feel like nowadays, if you make that kind of mistake, you can just get away with. Oh no, it's an alternate storyline. You probably can. <laughs> just... And now I think I, I can't remember if I called him Apprentice Pandemonium. That's what I wanted to call him. He may not have been Apprentice Pandemonium. He might have been like Master Chaos or so. I mean, it was, but it was some dumb shift in the name. Mm. Uh, uh. But who knows? Uh, yeah, uh, you could, you know, because readers really define their own, you know, everybody's always so obsessed about, you know, continuity, but readers are defining their own continuity now. You know, and that's why you've, you've got four Batman books and I've had readers tell me, yeah, I just don't pay attention to what happens in that one or that one. The only one that I care about is this one. That's uh -huh. a definition of your own continuity. And that's beautiful. That's great. Do it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want the I want the solo run of appre Apprentice Pastormonium. Yeah, that, um, Pastormonium? <laughs> that's, I actually like that even better. He's like a pastor and he has demons for hands. <laughs> yes. That's the whiskey talking. Forgive me. No, um, I, there's no I'm stealing that idea. <laughs> I'm no, going to be an old man and be like, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> you can't use it. It's actually being used in another comic. No, you're right probably now. right. You're probably right. <laughs> yeah. And if you, I mean, if you do get the chance to use him, just know that he can't have stubble on his face because he's <laughs> always, face. always clean, always clean shaven. shaven. Even in the apocalypse, he is clean shaven. Well, um, it's important to know. I just want you all to know that Batman's always clean shaven. And like I said, <laughs> that editorial note did not rub me the wrong way. I'm very good friends with that, that editor, but it is... It was funny at the time. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, again, with just all the different crossovers and stuff, it's like that's that's why I was curious, just because I felt like it must be really hard to for those guys to to keep track of everything. But then I imagine that could maybe be difficult as a writer, where you're kind of feeling like you're stepping on toes anytime you try to do anything of significance you in get any setting to, or any character. You get used but. to it. Uh, you get used to it pretty quick. And, and like I said, you have to, you know, your editor at, for those big, you know, those big universes, your editor 
is there to be, you know, sort of protect you from that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that's, you know, I go through a lot of outlining phases. So, you know, it, it should, usually it's pretty easy to catch, you know, in my outline, uh Oh, you can't do this because you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and, uh, your editors, you know, it's your editor's job to, to help you out with that stuff. Yeah. Something I'm curious about to, to flip it on its head is, you know, so we were talking about you playing in someone else's universe, but recently uh, you had someone adapt one of your properties into a feature film, uh, The Empty Man. Yes. Which I just watched the other day and I read the comic the other day as well. So I'm just on an Empty Man binge. Um, <laughs> and I have an Ian, so I'm an Empty Man literally right now. So that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but what was that like, um, having someone kind of step into your world and play around with your stuff. Was that kind of hard? Like, you know, releasing control or was it fun to see someone kind of take your story into a new medium? Because there are similarities between the movie and the comic, but not, I was not a lot. I was surprised. Yeah, it's, how, it's, how it's pretty different. different. It was. Yeah, it's it's pretty different. Um, and I kind of feel like the Empty Man movie is sort of a takes place in another corner of the comic book universe. It's going on in one piece of the Empty Man comic universe. Um, but what I think they got right in it is they got the mood and the feel of the comic. That's what, you know, that's kind of what I expected. Um, mm-hmm. It's different, uh, just like uh, every editor's different. Uh, you know, working uh, with in the adaptation realm is always different. Uh, you know, and sometimes you get... Uh, you know, very close adaptations. Sometimes you get very divergent stories. Um, I have written pilots uh, based on my comics, and even when I write them, they're very different from what the comic is. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe not as different as The Empty Man was, but different, you know. And the most important thing to me nowadays, and, you know, my, my opinion on it's changed over the years, the most important thing nowadays is I want it to be uh at least you know have the truth of the source material behind it even if it's diff- you know very different i want you to be able to recognize that this is the source material it's based on it mood the themes you know i want to be able to recognize it um i like you know i like seeing these adaptations you know my my philosophy on that you know every time i have one of these conversations with a producer or a screenwriter, you know, I've I've told them, you know, my big thing is, yes, I want to be able to, I want it to be recognizable, but also, I don't have a problem with these two things being different. Uh, the comics are always going mm-hmm. to exist. The comics out there, mm-hmm. and you'll have mm-hmm. some people who will read the comic and enjoy it, and they'll watch the movie and they'll get something very different. Some people will watch the movie and then go and read the comic, and they can get something very, you know, a very different experience. Uh, rather than just being, I read a comic and now I'm going to basically watch a frame by frame recreation of that comic. Well, when do you need to for? I mean, you you see, you know, uh. you should. I think they should be different. I think that they're different mediums. They serve different masters, and they uh, they should have differences. Uh, and to some degree, that's exciting. That's what's exciting about it. I want to see what's changed. I want to see what's different. I want to see what's better or what's you know what's worse. We did uh, a few years back. 
uh, we shot a pilot for The Sixth Gun for NBC. And one of the things that was interesting about my favorite characters in the pilot were not in the comic at all, but they were still, I was like, oh, mm. those are my, those guys are great. They're amazing. Mm. Because, and they, like I said, they weren't, the, the characters were in the comics, but they were almost background characters. And then they really wow. brought them to the foreground in the, uh, in the pilot. And I was like, those, I love those guys. They're awesome. Um, and they were, they were new. They were created by the screenwriter really for that, you know, for the, for the TV show. Mm. And same, like I said, yeah. I, I wrote the pilot for the Harrow County TV show that did, it didn't go anywhere. Um, I wrote one of the pilots for it. And, uh, you know, it was different. It was a different time period. I, instead of 1930s, it was 1970s. And, you know, we, mm. we did a lot of different things because we thought, or I thought it would work better for television by, you know, making some some changes. Yeah, that approach makes sense to me. The thing, the thing that's hard, like, and it's the only example that's that's coming to mind. But like for me, I remember when watching The Walking Dead, my favorite parts of that show when I was watching it was when they were ad- adapting the comic, and my least favorite parts were when it was like new stuff. But I totally agree with you in concept because it's like watching those parts. I was like, well, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're you know kind of not, you know. And the interesting thing with Walking Dead is. They, I really feel like they were messing with the comic readers so often in that yeah. in that show. I mean, the iconic scene with Glenn and Negan, for instance, they completely mm-hmm. played the comic readers in that scene. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they basically, you know, they they set it up in such a way because even earlier with Abraham and you know, and we all know how Abraham bites it in the comic, uh, and they killed another character that way in the show, and mm-hmm. they were to me. And I know they weren't, but a lot of, at least a little bit of it was, they were really setting us up to, 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 to play with the comic reader because, you know, Abraham bites it and you're like, okay, all right, I can breathe because, (laughs) you know, I don't, and then, nope, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. And it just is awful. And it's the worst. (laughs) It's the worst. I I wonder if part of that too, is if you're a showrunner, you kind of want to, like plant that seed early on. That way you're not making the promise that you're going to stick to the comic every step of the way. And then once you deviate, people are going to get really upset. But if you set that up early on, then, you know, you're saying, hey, we're going to play with it a little bit. This is a different thing. Yeah. Um, then, you know, people tend to not get so uh, ruffled by the the changes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me, Noah. Yeah, you're so wise. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think the, like the first the first episode, of The Walking Dead, was so much like the comic. It was like the first issued. It just yeah. was like the framing and everything, and I loved it. And yeah, I think like you said, Colin. I think is like there was a lot of deaths where they would switch stuff up, which sometimes was fun. And there are times you're like, oh, but that person sucks. Now I have to watch more of them. Or <laughs> I love this person, and now they're dead, and they have a whole arc in the comic that's awesome and a lot of fake outs like you were saying too yeah. but I understand because Robert Kirkman talked about like well I don't want to write what I've already written so I'm having fun deviating um, yeah it, it so yeah, gives that, you, it that gives that you an to opportunity me. to tell I mean I would never change the comic to adapt it to, to the TV show but I like the idea of being able to do something different in the TV show yeah absolutely well I I'm a uh, 
I'm fingers crossed for Harrow County because that's my jam. And that's actually how I, you know, came across you. But that was, you know, I would see that on all the lists I would research. I'd go best horror comics. And I would always see Harrow County. And I always saw the cover. Uh, is it, what's the name of the skin boy? Or, skinless boy. Uh, skinless boy. And I was always like, ew, gross. No, just like, I just thought I was like, this is just going to be gross. And I'm not really into just gross stuff. <laughs> I remember before that book came <laughs> out, Tyler and I were at, uh, I think it was in Emerald City. And they gave us a bunch of posters of Harrow County. And it has the skin crawling out of a desk drawer or out of a, 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 a dresser drawer. And we were mm-hmm. trying to give those posters out. And people were just like, no, I don't, what would I do with that? Like, you <laughs> hang it over your bed, you know, and put it, put it right up. And, and, uh, I, by the way, I love that cover. I mean, it's a, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's an amazing cover, but it is, uh, to some degree, I'm like, it, it definitely, I don't think of Harrow County as a horror story. I think it is a more, you know, sort of a dark fantasy, but it's less horror and more fantasy. Um, but yeah, that cover definitely is like, oh, this is going to be a disgusting, a disgusting bloodbath. <laughs> and uh, and the skinless boy is like the sweetest guy. He's so sweet. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like now when I see it on my bookshelf, I'm like, oh, skinless boy. Like it has a totally yeah. different like feeling to me. Um, skinless boy. Mo- he's he's such yeah. a sweet guy for a flayed human skin. Yeah, I want to be like skinless boy. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to transition, use that as a transition. I really liked Harrow County because it has um, such a cool and unique feel, that that Southern feel, which I feel like has become more popular in the in the past couple of years. I feel like, um, you know, True Detective helped that a lot, along with other stuff, just um, great true crime and all that stuff. But we're both in the Ozarks, and so... I'm just curious about, you know, I know you growing up, you you ended up moving to a, a farm and, uh, you know, some of those experiences impact you. But tell me a little bit about, you know, why you like that setting and, and why you went out to, to make this kind of very unique, you know, folklore mixed with fantasy and, and all that stuff. Well, I feel like uh, it's it's probably the truest comic to who I am, Harrow County is even more than, say, the Six Gun, which I I put Six Gun on a pedestal. Uh, I put Harrow County on a pedestal. But but Harrow County is probably the book that's truer to who I am as a, not just as a writer, but as just just in general. Um, I grew up in the country, lived in the country most of, you know, most, you know, through you know, through high school and then moved to the Ozarks uh, and definitely backwoods country in the Ozarks. And it just, you know, those were formative years and uh, and that it just, it, it helped to shape who I was. And I was always here, you know, my dad was always telling, you know, folk tales and making up stories about you know, the witches that lived out in the woods and stuff like that. So that stuck with me too. And, uh, and I just, uh, I just really enjoy building that kind of mythology. And, uh, uh, I like, I like, you know, one of the things of Harrow County and people say, well, where did that story come from? We made it up. 
it's all made up, you know, and, but we wanted it to feel like it was a folk tale that you might have heard, you know, growing up. Mm. You know, when people come up and say, oh, yeah, we had that story when I was a kid. We had, we heard about that, that, that old, that old creature out in the woods. And I was like, we made that up. You <laughs> liar. You know? but, but the whole point was we wanted it to be something that felt like the kind of stories that you would have heard if you grew up in the country. So we wanted it to feel, even though these are completely fanciful fanciful ideas, we wanted them to feel like they might be rooted in something. And mm-hmm. some of the Harrow County stories, okay, yeah, maybe, but a lot of the stuff we put in there, no, we just, we made it up and we made it feel like it was a real folk tale or a real ghost, you know, a real ghost story that someone had said. Mm. And that's the stuff I enjoy doing most. Uh, I mean, it, that's the stuff I love when when I'm writing stories. I, I just enjoy coming up with little asides in some cases that, uh, to me, help immerse the reader in the story. We did it uh, in the Six Gun, for instance. The first few pages of the first issue is the Six Gun. They're talking about, ah, yeah, we went and found the old ghost lantern and we found the hand of glory. We don't explain any of that stuff. It's just (laughs) there and you accept that it's part of that world. And because in this story, I'm not taking out time to say, a ghost lantern is a object that helps you light your way in ghost haunted forests. I don't do any of that because it's not immersive. You know, I, I love, when I was a kid, I loved that Cyclops, every time he shot his laser beam eyes, there was a little caption, Cyclops cuts loose with his optic blasts, only contained by his ruby red quartz lenses. That's great, but it's not immersive. It doesn't just, you know, it's, uh, when, you're, when you really want to do world building, to some degree, you have to trust the readers are just going to come along with you and don't try to over-explain Every little detail, because when you start over explaining, you're reminding the reader you don't belong in this story. You're not supposed to be here. Uh, I would rather tell a story and I explain what I need to. Um, But other than that, I'll make up phrases or character names or weird places and I'll. I'll try to put some sort of gravitas on them when we refer to them, and I have no intention of ever revisiting those ideas again. I just throw <laughs> them out there because I think it sounds fun. And, and to me, it helps build a world. Uh, I have paid the price for that. Nowadays, whenever I come up with one of those little things, I write it in a book because I know I'm going to want to come back to it or need to come back to it, and I'm going to forget what it was called, and then that's a whole mess. I have to do research. And the one thing I don't want to research is my own books. <laughs> well, nowadays, you can just read the fan fiction about that one little thing that you mentioned once. I, yeah, I guess I could, but I don't want to, ta- I don't <laughs> want to read the fan fiction because I, I let that be its own little sub-universe out there. I like that there's fan fiction, maybe, but I don't want to read it. I just want to, yeah, I'll let, no. I'll let the you know, let that exist because I don't want to get influenced by it. Yes. Well, I definitely think, you know, you you accomplished what you set out to do with Harrow County because I was talking with someone the other day about it. I was saying that it feels, I'm not trying to suck up to you because, again, I hate you. So you can know that this is me being honest (laughs) with you. Um, But uh, (laughs) um, Harrow County feels like a real place to me. Like, I feel like I could get in my car right now and I could, you know, put it into my Google GPS because I don't know where it is. Um, And then I would drive there and it would be there and there would be the haunts waiting for me. 
and then something terrible would probably happen to me. And I think that's incredible that I actually think about this fictional place as if it's real. Well, I do too. And and I think there are places that you could that that I I could go right now that would absolutely feel like Harrow County. But it's not just mm-hmm. one place. There are pieces of Harrow County exist in North Carolina, in several different places in North Carolina, and pieces of Harrow County exist in Missouri. Uh, and, and it's sort of a, you know, a mashup of those many different places. And I have other towns that I've written about, and, uh, and I've tried to get Tyler to draw me a map of, you know, Harrow County's here, and then over here's Spider Creek, Missouri, and, you know, all mm-hmm. the, you know, and the, over here's Crooked Hills, which are all these towns I've written about, which are all kind of Harrow County. You know, they're all sort of like Harrow, mm-hmm. uh, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, you know, they're, they have different names. So I kind of, I still, one day I'll have a map done up that will have all these fictional backwoods places uh, thrown together. Uh, it's weird because I know some of them I've specifically said are in Missouri and Harrow County, I specifically have said is in North Carolina. So I'm going to have to figure that out. But somehow, somehow I'll figure <laughs> it out. Yeah. Well, Noah, I hope that all of this is triggering you because... Just like Colin is expecting a map from Tyler, I am also expecting a map from you. So yes. please finish that quickly. Uh, and shame <laughs> on you. Um, I didn't know that this was going to be a, a badgering <laughs> session about map making. Oh, it all led up to this. Every episode is just like Noah and I having little like relationship spats in front of the guest and making them feel uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not um, uncomfortable. I'm interested in this map. Oh, okay, you, good. I, I'm interested in this map you have to draw. <laughs> Um, another thing just to go back to what you were talking about um, about not wanting to over explain things I think that's really interesting because Noah and I talk about this a lot with fantasy which is kind of the stuff that we're working on right now where you know with fantasy it gets really annoying when you're reading a prologue and the author just starts listing off way too many <laughs> things that you do not care about or need to know that do not impact the story and which you'll find out later but at the same time the stuff that you're talking about really works. And, and the clearest example that I can think of is in the first Alien film where you see the space jockey and the engineer and you're just like, there it what is. the crap yeah. is that? You, you don't need <laughs> and, to know. And like, you don't, need to, you don't need to know until Ridley Scott tells you later. But in that moment, um, you know, it's just, it's just this cool, amazing image. And, you know, you just think about it. And again, like, it's kind of like with horror... What I hear from a lot of authors who work in horror, it's like what the audience doesn't see, you know, they create in their mind and thus it's even scarier. And I feel like what you're saying ties into that as well of like listing this cool world building stuff, this cool lore, and then just moving on. And it's like that creates interest for some reason. But there's a there's a middle ground to where you're not just like spamming people with random nouns. Right. And stuff. Well, your mind, you know, your mind will fill in the blanks on on a lot of that stuff, um, and it, you know, it, it it depends. A lot of fantasy. That's sort of a that's sort of a trope of fantasy, right? Is that yeah? I'm going to tell you. Not only am I going to tell you everything, I'm going to tell you that this character's entire family tree, and uh, you know, and I love that stuff, but I don't want to read it. You know, uh, yeah. I, I not not that. I don't want to. I don't want to read it when I'm just getting into the story. I want to read the family yeah. tree in some sort of supplemental material or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to look it up later yeah. once you're 
you're in that universe. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, and look, it's different. You know, different uh, different strokes for different folks. Some people love that stuff, and that's what they want to get into. Uh, you know, they want to they want a ten page. You know, they see a, a a surf cooking something in a pot. They want a ten page recipe for what that person is cooking and and what it is, <laughs> and that's great. You know, uh, but it's t- those are the pages I skip. Very quickly in a in a novel is is, uh-huh. is the recipe for surf turnip soup. I was gonna say Noah and I are, are quite wealthy, so we're not really interested in what surfs are cooking. But I think I understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> maybe you might want to try other. You know, you could look see what the other how the other half lives. Though you could exp- <laughs> you know use that as your your way to understand the way people live in other walks of life. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I can I can connect with the other side. I see. Okay. Uh Colin, would you like to make me some soup sometime or nobody <laughs> nobody wants any soup I make. <laughs> maybe once uh maybe once uh COVID's over, you can throw a soup party. Um no, my, which party, be very my, specific. my party days are over. I don't throw parties. Well, I, I still throw parties, but I don't know that I'll throw any after I think I'm done hosting big party sorry and definitely definitely not a soup party because people spill <laughs> everything anyway when they go to your house that's true it's like they oh i'm going to somebody else's house i can put my spilling pants on and then you just start <laughs> spilling stuff you don't care nobody cares in there at your house they're gonna spill everything i'm definitely not giving them an a food item that is made to be spilled yeah that's true that's a bad idea i'm sorry i apologize <laughs> You get served um, wet naps and paper plates. That's all you get yeah. at my parties from now on. <laughs> yeah, there's just like it's like a it's like a Dexter kill room where there's just plastic wrapping everywhere That's and everyone's wearing. <laughs> That's the theme. Dexter kill room wet nap party. There you go. Enjoy. Dude, that actually sounds kind of awesome. Um, feel free to run with that. I will. Um, <laughs> well, Noah, I um, I you know wanna not take too much of Colin's time, so I'm going to cease my questions, but is there any last stuff that you would like to ask him before we get to our rapid fire? Sure. Um, yeah, there's there's something that that we've run into quite a bit, and I'm sure is the case for, for all creatives, but uh, do you ever have the problem when you start a project and you think, oh, this is, this is going to be it. This is going to be the one, like the thing. And I'm, I'm really into it and I, I have it all figured out. And then you're halfway through it and you run out of time or resources or whatever it is, motivation. And then you're like, okay, well, I need to take a break from this to focus on other stuff and then never pick it up again. Um, and then it's still in the back of your mind and you're like, ah, that's still the thing. And I still want to do that thing, but I just, <laughs> I can't get to it. I, is that a, is that relatable? Oh, yeah. or I mean, it, past it, that it happens <laughs> all the time. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it definitely happens with, uh, work for hire projects a lot of times because you just don't get to tell the story you wanted to tell. It ends early and, mm. you know, uh-huh. it, uh, a world event takes over and, you know, secret wars happens or whatever. And then, you know, you don't get to tell mm. the story you want to tell. Um, mm. But, uh, but it, it happens often in, uh, in creator owned stuff. It's, uh, 
And, uh, you know, my, my goal is, you know, I'm always going to come back to those books, right? But who knows if you will. I mean, the, the question I get asked every, almost immediately every time a new project is announced, is this an ongoing series or a limited series? And the uh. answer to that is every series is a limited series unless mm. people buy it. You know, it, yeah. it, it is all dependent yeah. on if people are going to pick continue with that story. By the time the second issue solicits for a comic, that means the first issue hasn't even come out yet. Your numbers have been cut in half. So you've lost mm. half your readers before the first issue even comes out. It's a tough market. It's a tough mm-hmm. market for comics out there. Um, and yeah, you know, there are there are several, you know, The Damned, for instance, I mentioned it was the very first thing I, I ever did. And Brian and I have a long story in mind for The Damned. And it's on hiatus right now. And I don't know when it's going to be, we're going to be able to pick it back up. We want to. I There are issues written that haven't been drawn yet. We know exactly mm. where it's going, but for various reasons, it's just not happening right now. You know, it, it will at some point, and I hate that it's not happening right now, but it, and it'll finish up at some point. You know, and then there are other series that, you know, I had plans for. I still want to tell the story, but the artist is engaged in other things. My The series I did for Oni sure. called Helheim, uh, which is sort of a Viking era Frankenstein story. Uh, we did two two limited series, um, and have always intended to do a third one. But Joelle Jones, the artist, is busy doing other stuff. She just can't focus on it right now. So mm. it's uh, and I and I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to do that book unless we could find an artist that that really you know, fits in that same, you know, vein of Joelle. It, 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 it is, it's true to what Joelle does. And that's a hard, you know, Joelle's a, you know, she's, she's very talented and she's, she's awesome. And she has a very distinct style. So what am I going to do? I, I'm not going to tell an artist, Hey, go draw this like someone else, because then mm. that's, that way lies madness. And it's kind of insulting. Yeah. It's also kind of insulting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so that book's on hold, you know, the third series just isn't coming yet. I would love for it to one day, but uh, but who knows? You know, and there are other series that just, you know, they sold well, but maybe not well enough to do. You know, publishers have to look at, yes, this this project did okay, for, did well for us, but would a f- new project do better? You know, they have to look at if they, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. continuing, you know, this series did well, but when we look at numbers, is a brand new series going to sell better than that series did? And, you know, those are those are tough decisions that publishers have to make every, you know, every project that goes out the door, um, you know, so it's it's hard. But, yeah, it's it's very yeah. relatable. It's every you know, it's, <laughs> it, it haunts me. It looms over mm. me. All these all of these stories loom over me because I, you know, I, I'm not a person who who plans often for the short haul. I'm really, you know, I get into these stories. I'm like, oh, this is, this is this world I've, you know, I have, I've created. I want to explore it. And it, it bothers me when I don't get the chance to do that. 
do you have to fight the urge to borrow pieces of those stories and stories that you're actually going to put out and just like, oh, well, this is going out and I really want to use this little bit of it. Do I save it because it works better in the yeah. original story? Yeah, you have to fight that sometimes. But if you use it, then I just say they're part of a thematic a thematic uh, connection between uh, them, you know. I can, I, I, uh-huh. I, there's all sorts of things that you can do to trick yourself into thinking <laughs> that it's okay that you did it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this character couldn't eat, Beast couldn't eat a Twinkie, but this guy's <laughs> going to eat a Twinkie. Right. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> For creator owned stuff, do you have to, so basically you're, you're gambling that you're, you're, story is going to do well once it's published and that's how you're going to get paid correct well i mean a lot of creator you know i've been very lucky in that i've made advances on most of my projects so a lot of times you know most of the time i'm getting paid up front you know for these books now if you do an image book i don't get an upfront page rate for an image book and things like that Mm -hmm. so there are situations uh not just image but there are are situations where you're kind of banking on you're going to make everything on the back end yeah um and then so when that happens do do you yourself hire an artist, or are they also kind of gambling that no, it'll do well? It depends. I have, you know, for for several projects, I've paid uh, the artist out of my pocket, and then uh, you know, and then hope that I'm going to make enough to to make that money Cover back. It. And mm-hmm. so that happens sometimes. Um, most of the time, though, if I'm making an advance, the artist is also making an advance too. So they're getting they're getting okay. a page rate to do the book. Uh, there are, mm-hmm. you know, there, like I said, there are a few uh, that that uh, either I've paid up front or the artist has said, I'm just going to draw it and hope we make it back on the back end. It's a tough, it's a lot easier for a writer to do that, I think, than an artist because I, I can write yeah. a lot faster than an artist can draw. Yeah, that's, yeah, thanks for diving into all that. It's like a free, <laughs> it's like a free school um, with, with that stuff. And, Little seminar, yeah. Yeah, I, I lied about paying you, by the way, so I'm, that's why I say free. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but uh, no, that's really that. It's fun to it's fun to just kind of get the the inside look into all that. So thanks for yeah. No, I into all I've that. been very lucky in that I've made advances on almost everything I've I've done. Um, but yeah, I you know I have definitely done books where I didn't get an advance, and I've done books where I've had to pay uh, the other creative costs to to make it happen and hope that the book does well enough that I get that money back. Do you get the advance based on a pitch that you make then? Uh, yes, I've all, yes. Uh, so I make a pitch, uh, and again, it works differently for everybody, right? But sure, I sure. I have always, I make the pitch, um, the publisher will do sort of a P&L trying to figure out how much the book's going to make and what format it's going to, you know, what format it's going to sell best in and what they can mm. offer you uh, to make that book happen, and they'll say, if we give you this page rate, this is how much this is how much the book's going to have to make before you get into royalties and things like that. So there are a lot gotcha. of calculations that go into it, um, and then they set a page rate. They say, this is what we offer, and if you can live with it, you go forward. You go forward. That's awesome. Yeah, it's Noah and I were talking about this off air, just about like recording stuff, but 
sometimes like Will and specifically me be like, oh, there's this ideal way that like all the other people get to do stuff. And then my way is like really complicated and hard and difficult. And it's, so it's cool. It's all to, very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's simultaneously like discouraging, like, oh man, like even like when you have tons of books and stuff, like everything's going to be weird and hard sometimes. But it's also nice to, because I think I can, you know, we can together as a team or just me myself can, get discouraged going like, oh, like it's so scrappy and I have to do all these different things. I don't know how things work. So it's kind of cool to hear that, you know, it's just a little bit like the Wild West out there. And sometimes it's going to be one way and other times, and that's okay. So Yeah, I mean, what works and how it works for one person is not how it works for anybody else. It's, I mean, it's, mm. it's everybody is, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, it, it, it just works differently for everybody. And, uh, you know, you got to find your way and figure out what works best and what's fair to the people you work with and fair to you and uh, and then try to make a go of it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it blows up in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with, with that said, no, I guess, you know, having learned that lesson that not everything works the same for everyone. We should probably change the title of our first book from The Damned to something else. Because um, we had, we just looked at everything you did and mapped out a game plan. Like, all right. <laughs> you you call it what you need to. See? see uh, you know, just take the off and then just call it Damned. Actually, there is another comic called Damned, so you can't do that. So. We'll just and do Damn! Exclamation point. Uh, there you go. Add the damn. exclamation point. There you go. <laughs> And where does Master Pandemonium fit into all of this? Well, he's a Marvel, but Pastor Pandemonium. That's the one. <laughs> that's ours. That's the one I'm really looking forward to creating. Come to there. me, my flock. Um, <laughs> well, with that, let's transition to uh, rapid fire. Where again, uh, Colin, we just I will just be asking you some quick, stupid questions. And your job is just to answer them as quickly as you can. And if you don't want to answer, if you're just stumped, feel I can free have to a say pass. pass. I can you say can. pass. All right, good. You can. Good. Get ready. We will judge you, but um, yes, you're allowed to do it. Get ready. Are you ready? Get ready for a okay. uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and if you say pass, you have to say why you pass. <laughs> That's fine. Pass. Don't want to. Don't want to answer that. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it. To start us off, in a physical brawl to the death, polar bear versus grizzly bear, go. Grizzly bears. All right. Is dipping white bread into heated spaghetti sauce a valid meal? Regular white bread like Wonder Bread? I don't know. Whatever your friend did in high school that you mentioned, he just... Oh, my God. Just, First of all, that guy was not high school. That guy was high in school? college. Was that? It was like my college, first year in college. Okay. And it's the most horrified <laughs> I've ever been. It was the only food that guy had in his house. And he was like, you guys want some of this? <laughs> Eating. He, was, he had a can of spaghetti sauce and bread, and he was dipping it in it. You guys want to get in on this? <laughs> it's the most... I, I swear, I didn't eat for a week after that. And I worked a kitchen... <laughs> A food line cleaning dishes at college, which you see the most <laughs> ghastly things, and that still that horrified well. me. Oh man! <laughs> sorry, I did. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get on my soapbox about about the <laughs> white bread and the spaghetti sauce, but that was. That's why I, I never expected. played Lord of the Rings role playing again because that's what we were playing that night, and I wasn't <laughs> I about ruined to, it for I you. I wasn't about to play it again. 
<laughs> you were conditioned and from since on have been triggered by That's Lord right. Marines. Very angry about it. <laughs> Name the author of this quote. Sometimes a writer needs to cut a fool. Oh, that's me. I said that. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best drink to pair with your Pappy's Deep Fried Deep Ones recipe. Oh, uh, did I? Um, I don't know if I said a drink in my recipe that I wrote, but. Oh, I just was curious. Yeah. What would you pair with it? Well, you'd have to pair like some moonshine, like not moonshine you buy at the store, but like real moonshine that somebody brewed out of something that might explode. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, what did the empty man make you do? It made me write that stupid comic, I guess. <laughs> Not saying the empty man. I'm just saying that stupid comic. Which one that is, you have to be the judge of yourself. <laughs> um, what would you rather have in your house? A juicy fruit tree or a margarita fountain? Well, I would rather have a margarita fountain, but... A juicy fruit tree is kind of awesome. <laughs> that was my, also my nickname in high school, by the way. Juicy uh, fruit tree? Yeah. It was a strange <laughs> time. I'm surprised. You're a young, you're a young person. Juicy fruit trees were a thing of the past by the time you were in high school. When I, I was, was like that cool vintage kit. No. <laughs> nobody is vintage for a juicy fruit tree. <laughs> juicy fruit trees, that was the commercial. There was a tree that rained juicy fruit down on people. And my dad, one time, I came home from a walk, and my dad had taped Juicy Fruit to the tree out in our front yard. And it's Aww. one of my fondest memories is, is that he had taped Juicy Fruit all over this tree. That's super sweet. I like that. That's funny, because my dad gave me a margarita fountain. When I was- <laughs> <laughs> Noah, we'll talk about your alcoholism later. Um, all right. <laughs> Can you still be a hero if you try to feed someone to a giant spider? No, you cannot. Once you attempt to feed someone to a spider, you're you are beyond redemption. <laughs> if you want context to this, look up Colin's opinion on whether or not Gollum is the hero of Lord of the Rings, and you will be endlessly entertained. You don't have to look it up. Gollum can't be the hero of Lord no. of the Rings. Who thinks? Who thinks that? Oh, there's some fools out there who think Golem is the true hero because he bit Frodo's finger off and danced around on a bunch of loose rocks. That doesn't make you a hero. And he tried how, to feed him to a spider. That? Yeah. How can you say that when Sam exists? Exactly. Thank you. See, Noah's my favorite because he knows that <laughs> I didn't Sam, say I disagree with you. <laughs> that Sam is the true hero of Lord of the Rings and Boromir is second. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I'm on your side. I'm just... I don't just believe the reaction. I don't believe you. <laughs> you're right. Oh, Gollum is bad. You're, you're backpedaling. <laughs> I'm very angry about this, too. Gollum, Gollum dips white bread in spaghetti sauce. <laughs> oh, you know he does. With a fish, too, probably. A raw fish. <laughs> what spaghetti sauce, precious? <laughs> um, what's the best way to get goats to stop sleeping on your car? You get a Rottweiler. You train a Rottweiler to sleep on the car. It runs them off. <laughs> Very nice. Now, if one of your books had to get its title changed, which one of these would you choose? So, instead of Harrow County, Bone Marrow Brownie, instead of The Damned, Granny's Yams, instead of Dark Ark, Dark Larp, instead of Blood Feud, Bloody Nude Dude, or instead, this is my favorite, instead of The Six Gun, 
Colin's six bun. So I'm going to answer this this question with a question. (laughs) Ooh, okay. Who the hell came up with that nonsense? (laughs) Well, me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm very proud. The the best one of those is Bloody New Dude, I think. But um, I don't know. None of those get changed. None of them. I like calling six bun, but (laughs) it's too late. Um, And then finally, we, you famously have been attacked by a cougar in real life named Eight Ball. Yes. But have you ever been attacked by a cougar that goes by the name of Noah's mom? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't think so. No. <laughs> I'm don't sorry. tell me if you have. <laughs> Pass. Yeah, no, no, I can't Pass. Take it. Pass. <laughs> uh, well, Colin, that is the end of Rapid Fire. You did an excellent job. Thank you. You crushed it. Ten out of ten. We'll awesome. ask you dumb questions again. Um, with us being here at the end of the episode, uh, is there anything that you would like to currently plug to to point people in the direction of? Well, you, you know, I have a lot of books coming out in the very near future. Um, uh, throughout the next uh, several months, you know, there is Phantom on the Scan from Aftershock that's coming out. There is uh, Shadow Man coming out from Valiant. The first issue comes out in uh, April. There's Eden from Aftershock, Parasomnia from Dark course uh basilisk from boom and then in july i have the ghoul next door which is coming out from harper collins so lots of cool books the way to keep up with all that is to follow me either on my website which is cullenbun.com or follow me on twitter which is at cullenbun and you can from that from those 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 lofty places you can get uh all the the download on everything that i'm doing um, so I would, that's my, that's my pitch. Please follow me on Twitter and go to my website and check it out. Subscribe to my newsletter. Look at all the places you can follow me and didn't do it. That's right. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. And we'll put all of that in the show notes, uh, for easy clickage, but yeah, definitely go check out Colin's stuff. There's a huge variety of types of stories and, and genres and stuff to choose from. So I know that there is something out there for all of y'all. And again, I know and I always say this, we have people on the show who we like. Um, we don't just interview random people. So I have read Colin's stuff. I like it. It is good. Um, and again, support support artists. So check that stuff out. And um, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. Appreciate you guys uh, consistently tuning in. And Colin... Despite, you know, the vibe that we established in the episode, I do not hate you. I think you're great. I think you're fantastic. And I I can't stress it enough that I think it's just really cool that you talked with us. And Noah and I are always very humbled that we get people to be on the show. So thank you for extending your time to us. It really, 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 really does mean a lot to me. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, uh, this was fun. Even even your weirdo questions at the end were fun. <laughs> Well, that's the first time I've heard that, but thank you. I appreciate that. And Noah, I appreciate you. Thank you for being my co-host. I think you're great. And um, I love your face. You've been working out? No. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit later. It's all natural, (laughs) believe it or not. Coronabod. Well, good night to all you humming fools. And don't forget to keep on humming and keep on fooling.